Welcome to the TragQuest Podcast. I'm your host, James Orr, and today joining me, my co-host, Robert Borland. Uh, we're back bringing you more Western bow hunting, traditional bow hunting style. Hey, Robert, how are you doing tonight? Good, James. How are you doing, buddy? You know, I I'm, I'm just got back from my antelope hunt, and we're going to talk uh, pronghorn tonight and do a little recap on the hunt. Uh, I miss the mountains already, but I am happy to be home with my family. It's been a long two weeks away from the house. Uh, what, what do you what do you have uh, going on this week? Uh, for me, just trying to button stuff up before elk season. We've got a couple weeks left. Um, you know, working, trying to finish plumbing a big house. It's 95 degrees here, so that's been fun. Doing that on my days off, and uh, that's about it. Spend a little time so with you, the family before I go. So, yeah, you're a firefighter, but you do some uh, plumbing on the side? Yeah, a little bit. Sorry. I help out some friends here and there. I still keep up my license, and, um, you know, it's hard to give it up when you did it for a long time. My dad and brother were plumbers also, so it's kind of the family business, I guess. Copy. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I got to go back to the grind myself tomorrow. Uh, the boss was like, you need to come home. We need to wrap up some surveys out in the woods. We'll be doing some snorkel surveys, counting fish underwater in dry suits with flashlights. So it's, uh, that's always a fun time. It's, it's hot down there too, isn't it? A little, little toasty, those suits. Yeah. The, yeah, it'll be it'll be warm in the woods in those dry suits because uh, we're pretty much just in puddles uh, in the creeks c- counting fry. So, yeah, so we attended the Traditional Archers of Oregon Pope and Young Broadhead Competition uh, before I headed out to the Heart Mountain Antelope Hunt. That was the weekend before last. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so I camped with Robert and his family. And his wife was down and his daughter and we uh, got to catch up with a bunch of friends and fling some broadheads and uh, do the 3D competition. And it was uh, definitely a really good time. Yeah, I like I like shooting that course. It's kind of the last one I do before season every year and it's a broadhead shoot. I'm never uh, competing, but it's always good practice to get out there and shoot your broadheads right before season. Yeah, it's it's definitely awesome to be able to go shoot broadheads at 3D targets. Uh, I'd like to win that thing someday. Um, I definitely wasn't uh, mentally prepared to be like in competition mode. We were uh, prepared to record some podcasts at the event, and um, we were fortunate to get uh, a really good podcast recorded, which we aired last Friday with Mark Penniger on Kodiak Sitka Blacktail Deer, and I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I sure did. Yeah, Mark's a stud. Yeah, he's definitely a stud. I, uh, I'm i itching to go to Kodiak Island to hunt some Sitka Blacktails now. How about you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard not to be after listening to his stories. You know, after we did that podcast, he came back and hung out, and, you know, we had a couple beers until, poof, you know, 1130 or something, and just more and more stories. He's... He's a blast to hang out and talk to, that's for sure. So get you all fired up. For sure. Yeah, Mark, if you're listening, uh we might have to twist his arm and have him take us to Kodiak Island <laughs> and go uh go uh, yeah, right. uh 
eavesdrop on some of his hunting ground. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, that that would be great if, uh, if if we could put that together. But either which way, he gave us the knowledge to uh, make it happen on our own. So uh, I think that's definitely um, on my bucket list. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. Me and my brother have been talking about doing it forever. You know, ever since actually the first pilot we called up there was a the guy that he used to use, that Jack Lechner guy. So that was probably 15 years ago, and we just never pulled the trigger. Just for one reason or another, you know, it's hard to pay all those plane tickets and be able to afford that when you're in your twenties and you can go elk hunting, you know, right around your back door. So it's time yeah, I've been, getting to, we're getting old now. So, yeah, I've been looking into that hunt for a while too. And I learned a lot, uh, talking to Mark, you know, I was always like, should I do the boat hunt? Should I hunt him in November? Should I hunt him in august september and i think by talking to him i really nailed down the proper dates on when i want to be hunting there and how i want to go about it um, so i think that was really beneficial to our uh, listeners uh, as well yeah for sure if if they don't mind the bears i guess i always yeah i always thought going earlier would be better because from the info i read you know the bears are down low deer up high kind of separate yourself and you don't have to worry about it but it sounds like you just got to put up with the bears if you want the real good hunting and don't want to get eaten by mosquitoes and no seams yeah. and white socks and everything else so, yeah i mean it sounds crazy but i think i'll take the bears over the bugs <laughs> yeah i guess uh i don't know um i, I you hear steven ranella talking about like how he wouldn't mind like just like a brief mauling <laughs> uh it's sick what? and twisted i guess yeah, yeah. steve Rinella talks about like maybe just getting a scar from it or something and yeah, i i, I don't think cool. i want that i don't think i want that in my life but i don't know the bears i just i think if you take proper uh precautions and respect them uh more than likely you should come out uh unscathed and uh, I want to, I want that action, um, with the blacktails in that pre rut. And it sounds like similar to our blacktails that end of October, beginning of November, as we talked about in the podcast seems to be the, the prime time to get them when they're in that chasing phase. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like paradise actually, you know, like he said, not, not ever really seeing anybody out hunting. I guess that's that's also the benefit of not going on the boats and going where there's easy access. You got to put up with a few bears. Right. But. And they didn't have to like backpack up into that grueling thing. I mean, they got dropped off the lake and they could have a teepee with a wood stove. And I mean, those amenities would be nice also. Heck yeah. Make yeah, a stove on it. Those teepees with the stoves are, seems like those would be a game changer on a hunt like that. Just being able to, warm up and dry off a little bit yeah i think I, I i do i do enjoy just a little bit of comfort i think it keep can keep you in the game for sure um yeah speaking of which uh i had a hard time deciding to go like lightweight gear or pack my wall tent uh, on my heart mountain pronghorn hunt and in the end i took my wall tent and it, it i had to move camp a couple times which was a real pain in the butt 
but once I got to where I was staying and I had the, 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 the wall tent set up for a week, it, it was really nice to have that comfort, even if it was just at night and early in the morning. So it's, it's kind of a give and take. Yeah. Whatever, whatever can make you stay and hunt longer. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I was, as we talked about, uh, in, that was at episode 10, uh, the pronghorn, uh, we talked about your, uh, hunt and I had, uh, the same tag, the heart mountain archery tag in my pocket. And I, uh, sounds like your hunt was I, I, a little different than mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was, I think it was the wettest, uh, uh Oregon or in that region has been in 50 years. And nice. so, so I was told by the biologists and a lot of people that it was going to be a lot tougher hunt. And I tried to ignore that thinking, Oh, you know, it should be fine. And it was the toughest hunt mentally that I've ever endured. I mean, it was very difficult staying in the game at times. I went over there by myself and I guess there's a, it's it's a, it's a heart, heart mountain, antelope refuge uh there's supposed to be like two to three thousand antelope uh in this unit and i've probably seen half of that Uh, there's a lot of antelope running around they've got maps with all these named water holes and from my understanding uh, there's 20 some water holes like when you had the hunt would you say there was 20 some water holes yeah that's what i heard i mean i think I heard there on dry years there's only like 15 or something. So yeah, 15 uh, to yeah, 15 yeah. to 20 water holes for uh 24 26 tags. Yeah. So some of these water holes are bigger and a guy could have a blind on one side and the other and some of them are smaller and so guys are almost kind of fighting over water holes. And there's a lot of rules and regulations because it is a refuge. So it's unlike other places in Oregon, your uh, predator tags, the right to shoot a mountain lion uh, is revoked. Um, I did hear that there's been a couple bears spotted on Hart Mountain. It's pretty rare, but I guess there is a few there. I learned yeah. when I was there, they have a, a couple bears around and a small herd of elk yeah. on the mountain. Um, I heard rumors of a 400-inch bull running around on the mountain. <laughs> I'm um, sure. And you can't hunt them. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, they're all off limits. Um, so with they're not doing any kind of predator management, it's really hurting the deer herds, I noticed, up there. And being a wet year, I think there was probably like, with the spring seeps and stuff, from what I heard, there was like 60 water holes. And didn't you, I mean, from when I went to when you went, there's a lot, they're all a lot of dry lakes. Well, the lakes when I was there were <laughs> twenty yards across, you know, little water holes. And from what you were Did saying, you they them? were they were actually lakes, huh? Well, you you just referred to them as dry lakes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, I'd call them large lakes. <laughs> yeah, that's tough, man. That uh, makes it tough. Yeah, big, big like ocean, like huge lakes, uh, <laughs> like hundreds and hundreds of yards across. Yeah. And some of these guys were setting up on these lakes anyway. They would put, you know, guys would be in several blinds around these lakes 
And I guess they would have spottings of like two, three hundred antelope, which I never experienced. But these antelope wouldn't be coming by their blinds. They would just go in between them and get their water. And then outside of those lakes, there was marshes. There was like all this wet ground. And I started off hunting a water hole that uh, some of our friends from traditional archers of Oregon have had good success in the past. And I believe this water hole was like, you know, double in size. Yeah. And it it uh, sits where the camping and the bulk of the water holes are um, about a four four hour drive. When I say four hours, it's like you're driving like five to ten miles an hour through really rough rocky terrain. So I think it was actually only like thirty miles away. Yeah. But it was so brutal I would have to stop the truck and get out and move big rocks out of the way and then keep driving and then move rocks and I was sweating bullets trying to maneuver through some of this ground Uh, I've got 10 ply tires and uh, that didn't seem to matter I ended up with a blowout sidewall blowout at one point and it it was uh, tough being over on that side of the mountain because the camping conditions were less than ideal there was no running water like there was on the other side of the mountain where I had camped for my first couple of days of scouting. Um, there was no one over there. And there was these ant mounds. I called it ant camp. These <laughs> ants took over my wall tent and they were all over my bed and they were all over my cot, all over the walls of my tent. I looked, I looked uh, after going out and scouting, came back to camp and I was, it looked like like my bed was moving and I was like, what is going on? I was like, Oh my gosh, 10 million ants had started crawling all over my stuff. And I ended up having to brush them all off and start putting stuff back into my truck and sleeping, you know, in my truck, I couldn't even camp there. Yeah. Um, but I, I sat, I sat opening day on that water hole and it was hard to sit there because there was no fresh sign. There, the water had, had exceeded. It was like 110 degrees and it had exceeded like a foot. So there was like a mud strip around the lake. Yeah. And there was no tracks from antelope from that week. Like zero. Yeah. So, and a lot of these setups, you are in a situation where you can see a long ways from your blind, but mine, I was like in this horseshoe like pit. So I think like after six hours of sitting, this one buck shows up, takes a look at my blind and turns and runs into the desert. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem good. And I sat there (laughs) for 16 hours and I elected to pull my blind pack up the rest of my camp and drive back to the other side of the mountain where the antelope were. And there's a campground there with hot springs and running Creek through camp and green grass and trees to camp under. And that, you know, made camping a lot better. Plus it was nice to be where the antelope were. Yeah. For sure. Where did you camp? Where did you camp when you um, had the hunt? You know, we didn't camp at the hot springs. There's another area. I think it was Post Meadows or something. So, but yeah, we yeah, camped there's... up in the aspens and stuff where there was a little bit of shade. 
No, you, you weren't in Post Meadows, then you were in Guano Creek. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's Post not... Meadows is like the horse camp. It's out in the desert. Okay, yeah. And then Guano Camp, Guano Creek Camp is like in the trees up on the creek line. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of more of a primitive camp, but it puts you a little closer to the hunting. Yep. So, so you hunted the blind one day and realized, yeah, that's not working. So then you moved up. Did you set your blind up again? Yeah. So I then moved my blind to another water hole and I set up on that one and I sat there for a half a day with, uh, nothing, no action whatsoever. And at that point I decided I needed to pull the blind again and, and actually spend the rest of the day scouting. Okay. So kind of a, a lost, uh, day per se, and then, uh, go out and do some scouting. Yeah. And in my, in my, uh, scouting, I started, this tag takes guys, you know, 15, 16 years to get. Um, I was fortunate to get it with eight. But the hunters are, everyone's real social. So anytime you're driving around in camp or out uh, out in the desert, in the mountains, everybody wants to stop and talk to each other. And um, I was there by myself, but most of the hunters had uh, one, two, three other guys in camp with them, helping them scout, uh, helping them spot. A lot of these guys would have like, a guy up on the hill talking to them through radios, which I don't really agree with, but I don't, I, in Oregon, I think it's legal. Just letting them know if something's coming in or something like that. Yeah. There was even guys going out with four wheelers and bumping antelope because there was 80 holes or 60 mm. holes or whatever. There was guys going out on foot and, and four wheelers and stuff and bump, keeping them bumped off of holes that didn't have blinds oh, and trying to like push them towards their buddy's hole. Yikes. There, there was a lot of that going on, uh, them trying to redirect antelope and then like on radios, letting them know, Hey man, they're coming your way. Um, and everybody was constantly, not everybody, but a lot of people were pulling their blinds a lot and moving. Um, yeah. out of frustration of the antelope using so many different water sources. And so there was some different strategies, uh, unlike a dry year that all my friends have had it, where they called it a, you know, a gimme, uh, an easy hunt. Um, I mean, I'm a couple of days into this and I am mentally totally uh, taxed. Yeah. I'm, I'm confused. I'm considering on giving up. Uh, I'm I'm calling you on the phone and a few of our other friends, sounding like like a little girl. Like, man, what do I, what do I do? This is uh, not what I expected. Um, and so I, I I learned a lot about myself during this hunt, spending you know the 16 hours in the blinds and and just really having a time to reflect on this mental challenge. And it was, you know, I took away a lot from it. And what I ended up uh, doing next was I'd met some guys. And by this time, I think there'd been two antelope killed from what I'd gathered uh, opening morning on water. And I think normally there's about 
12 to 15 uh, goats antelope took in by day two. Um, by day three, most of the guys are tagged out in this hunt, and a lot of different water sources open up. And yeah. uh, by this point, uh, is that is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. After a couple of days, most guys were done when I was there. Yeah, they're tagged out. And so two were taken off of water, and that was it. And one of the uh, water holes that um, a guy tagged out on opening day uh, his name was uh, Daniel Jacobson from Legrand, and he was a uh, friend of Mark Penniger, and he was a riot. Uh, I, I got to meet him, and he had a really hot water hole with a lot of antelope hanging on it, um, but they were kind of pre- presenting long shots. Um, I think, I believe he came with a longbow and a compound. He's kind of that uh, Mark's kind of getting him into trad and he's trying, but he's kind of in that in-between stage. Yeah. It sounds like. And I think he, he did end up shooting uh, his antelope with the compound. Um, and I imagine that because the antelope weren't coming into giving him close range shots, I'm not, I haven't got the full story, but I did get a call from him, uh, letting me know that his water hole was available and I had planned to move to it. And in the process, I'd met a guy uh, named Kerry Williams, and he was a super nice guy. He was scouting and spotting for another hunter, and I don't remember that gentleman's name, but he comes back into my Heart Mountain experience later in the game, and they offered me to go hunt a water hole they'd found that had a lot of uh, antelope hitting it, but they said it was younger bucks. And they were uh, trophy hunting for larger bucks, I suppose. And I, shooting a stick bow, and I never really been too picky. I said, "Well, yeah, send send me send me to where there's <laughs> antelope. Uh, I'm scouting." So uh, when they told me it was a very small hole, and that getting a uh, twenty yard shot there should be, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a good chance. Um, I wouldn't have had a look at it. Sure enough, the water hole was uh, about the size of like, I don't know, half the size of a pickup truck. It was, you know, probably, uh, I don't know, 20 feet across, but it was like in a pit. So it was going to offer like a 10 to 20 yard shot, it seemed. Nice. And so I set up there and I sat there. The weather, we started off with like a hundred and 510 degree weather and then it shifted the next couple of days to like 80 and high winds and the high winds were not doing me any favors and I sat there with no sightings the first day so at this point I'm like three days in with no antelope drinking and just seeing a couple out in the distance that would run from me nice that's um, a good start <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> I was I was feeling pretty defeated, and I was camping by myself and not really having interaction with uh, other hunters um, at this point. So it was it was time to you know really change the game, and so I started. Uh, I, I went uh, 
and start walking around camp and trying to, you know, meet people. Um, and I, I ended up running into, uh, a neighboring camp and I met, uh, this guy, Travis, and he invited me into his camp and he had friends there. Uh, a guy named Michael, he's got a, uh, Ragged Ridge, uh, outdoors. I think he calls his, uh, he does some filming, some compound stuff. Uh, super nice guys. Uh, they'd managed to kill a rattlesnake. Uh, I believe it was off the refuge somewhere. Big six foot rattlesnake, big, huge thing. And, um, I don't think it was quite six feet, but it was like, it was huge. It was a giant rattlesnake. And they, uh, we proceeded to cook it up for dinner. And, uh, it was my second time having rattlesnake. I had it once as a young man and it was really delicious. It reminded me of like flaky halibut. And then just the interaction with other hunters and hearing how tough it was for them on the hunt and getting to, you know, socialize and get that camaraderie. I felt like I was like, my batteries were charged. Uh, I took and I bathed and I felt like I was back in the game uh, for, for day four. Nice. Yeah. Having having guys to talk to, you know, that's, when I'm blacktail hunting, that's kind of, you know, cause you'll go four or five days without seeing a deer sometimes. And it's, oh, that's, but usually you have a buddy or two and, and they're, oh man, you know, they saw a buck over here and it was all rutted up. And that's usually all you need to hear. Like it can happen, you know? So having some guys to yeah. bounce stuff off of helps. Totally. Keep the game like, going. um, me and you haven't hunted together yet, but I'm going to bring up this, uh, scale that I have with, uh, me and my buddies that I hunt with, we have this one to 10 scale <laughs> and how this operates is like at this point, I'm a one. And so if I'm hunting with you and you're a six, well then together, you know, we're like a solid four. <laughs> and, and then if I'm a four the next day and you end up being a 10, you could bump me up to like a seven, just talk, <laughs> just talking to you. Uh, yeah. you know, or, or, if, or if I'm a one and all of a sudden I get into some critters, I could be like a 10 in just a few seconds. And so we're always kind of like talking like, Hey man, where are you at? And it's like, Oh man, I'm an eight. And it's like, man, you're an eight. Uh, I had a pretty rough day today. I'm a six, but I guess now I'm a seven. Um, <laughs> and so we kind of, we use this kind of way to pump each other up and to, to kind of gauge each other's mood, if you would. Yeah. And, and. So when I would call my buddies, like when I was calling you and Andy and Nick, you guys weren't in the hunt. You guys were at home dealing with, you know, it, it's not hunting season for you guys mm-hmm. right now. And so you guys are like telling me nice things like stay in there, buddy, and you got this. <laughs> but it didn't really mean anything. But when I went and talked to these guys in camp who were going through the same frustrations that I was and they were, you know, in the same hunt, it. It, it you know it jacked me up like all right it's not that bad i mean it is bad but everybody else is having it bad and it's going to get better and you know that power of just trying to be optimistic and uh you know just trying to jack yourself up and and so i i went it's powerful stuff it really is mm-hmm. and i i went uh you know got up at four in the morning like i had been doing every morning and i got into the blind and right away, action. I mean, it was like six in the morning and I see antelope running all around. And I'm like, oh man, this is it. 
it's going to happen. And at 6.30, this buck, he's the first buck that actually comes in. And at this point, I'd had a few does uh, at 6 come in and drink. So it was my first time having antelope actually drink. So I had some does drink at 6. And at 6.30 in the morning, because I think it was getting light at 5.15. And so at 6.30 in the morning, this buck comes in, and he was a pretty good buck. And he comes in, and these antelope are like way more wired for sound than a black-tailed deer. I mean, these things are so sketchy. You you have no idea till you see it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, they they barely bed down. They're always just standing there. Yeah, they're and on crack. On, dude, they are on crack for sure. So this buck comes in, and I'm in the ground blind, and I'm like bathed, and I'm wearing clean clothes, and I've got black pants and a black shirt and a black face and a black hat, and I'm I got one window open, and everything's black. So I'm like as camo as I can be, and. My blind is a double bull blind. It's a predator camo. It's tucked in the grass. I'm feeling good about the setup. Um, I'm sitting there, and he comes in, and he he goes like he's going to drink, and I got my fingers on the string, and then he just, like, turns inside out and runs away, and I'm like, he didn't even drink. I was like, <laughs> really? And... At that point, I was like, okay, that, that's how it's going to be. And so about a half an hour later, well, he goes out there about 100 yards, and he just stands there and stares for a half an hour. He just stares. And I'm like, come on, man, just come on in here. So he, then he decides to kind of mill around a little bit, and then he just walks in again, and he comes to the water, and he starts to drink. And then he starts to drink. I draw back, I hit anchor, you know, I've got the, uh, Joel, Joel Turner mantra. I'm telling myself, I'm going to do this right. And I draw back and I hit anchor and I'm keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling my clicker. It's really dead and it barely makes any noise. It just has, I can feel it. Mm -hmm. Shot just felt so clean and perfect. Arrow goes. And that sucker dropped like 10 inches. His chest just hits the ground and he swapped ends. And I watched those bright yellow chartreuse feathers arrow just bury right into the mud bank. I could not believe it. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. There's no way that wasn't a good arrow. I quickly pulled the binoculars up expecting... I knew had just he dropped and it went over his back because I seen it happen, but I still pulled the binoculars up super fast, like check behind his shoulder when he ran out there and he stopped. And I'm like, is he bleeding? Is he gushing? Did I pass through? <laughs> I, and I knew that I didn't, but I was, I was hoping that I, you know, it just seemed like, it, it, how could I have missed? But yeah, he he absolutely uh, whatever ducked the arrow, jumped the string. And later that uh, evening, uh, when I went and pulled the arrow out of the mud and I lined it up with, you know, with the ground blind and the whole shot, it was money. He just, he, he just got out of the way. Yeah, they're jumpy. Those uh, wood uh, arrows don't fly real fast. I had the same problem yeah. several times. 
Yeah, 650 grain arrow from a 51 pound bow is no speed demon. Longbow is no speed demon by no means. Um, it's quiet. Yeah. But it wasn't quiet enough, I guess. Um, I, I definitely am. I guess I'm going to try to work on making it quieter. That's all I can really think. Um, so he, he, that buck, he goes away and another buck shows up a few, few, few hours later. Um, some does came and drank a few more times and, uh, a really large, mature black faced, uh, huge buck shows up and he's really tall his horns are really narrow and his like heart shape comes together and he's got like some like he's got like a non-typical cutter it's got a split on it and stuff and I, I, but mind you I'm willing to shoot like a I don't care if it's like a one and a half year old I'm just that way I don't I'm not a trophy hunter so but this big huge buck comes in and I'm like okay he's going to drink no he stays there for two and a half hours just staring at me oh man he just stood out there like the same spot this other buck did, but he never committed. He just stood there. And then he like went and stood like he walked like 40 yards to his right or to my right, I guess. And he just stood there. And then he walked around the blind, you know, st staying like 100 yards away. And then when he got my scent, he just blew out. And everyone told me, oh, the antelope don't use their nose. But these antelope were all scent checking uh, me. I had does stomping and blowing just like deer do. Um, I was having them catch my scent uh, quite a bit. There was a lot of wind. The wind was shifting a lot, and they would start to come in, does, and then the wind would shift, and they would run or blow. So... I never did on this hunt have another buck come in to water. Um, well, that's not true. I had some young, couple of young bucks come in with does and fawns, and like seven or eight of them would come in and water at the same time, and the buck would just be in the middle of that bunch, you know, mm -hmm. so that there's impossible to take a shot at. Yeah. And, and it was a buck only hunt. Um, I would have had no, you know, I had opportunities on does daily. And I would have been just as happy to have shot in a doe and taken her home with me, but they were off the menu, of course. Well, that's so, that's rough, man. Especially when you when you draw one of those tags, you get a lot of extra pressure. Just you know, once in a lifetime type tag. But I mean, that just goes to show you weather weather plays a big part in hunting, and that's something you can't yeah. control. You know. Then then I'm still. Still in the game. I've gotten a shot. I'm feeling like there's still antelope to be had, and it starts raining. <laughs> and then I I get rain and thunderstorms. I know. I think you called me when it was raining. You're like, it's pouring down rain. I'm like, what? You're kidding me. It's 95 here. Yeah. So for the next three days, I get on and off thunder and lightning and rainstorms. And it's super difficult to sit a water hole for 15 hours a day when there's water puddles yeah. all over the place. So I, I go to spot and stock one day. I'm like, you know, they say that's not easy. Well, it isn't. Um, 
I would search there's antelope everywhere, but I was looking for some that had some topography that I could work with. And I spotted a group under some rim rock. It was kind of your classic mule deer situation, but they weren't bedded. So by time I worked my way all the way to that rim rock with the wind in my favor and got up on the rim rock, they had moved away from the rim rock. Uh, so I, you know, then dogged them down. And once they're out in the flat desert, there's not a lot you can do with them unless they're in some tall sage. Yeah. which at one point they moved into the tall sage. So I had some knee pads on and I had like my ghillie hat on and I'm like crawling on my hands and knees and I got into like 60 yards. Um, but there were so many eyes there. Uh, one of them picked me off and you know, away they went. Yeah. That's so tough. I, I gave it a whirl. I gave it, you know, really all I had, um, from my understanding, there were five. Now, I left two days early. It was raining uh, two and a half days early. And I need to be back to work tomorrow. The hunt ends tomorrow, I believe, yeah. And I, I, uh, it's a eight-hour drive from where I was hunting to where I live. So I got back last night. And there had only been five... Uh, antelope taken at this point two off of water holes and wow. three three rope by road hunters nice and i'm not road hunting's not I don't, it's not really an option for me i don't <laughs> I, I don't want one so bad i'm to shoot them out of my running truck um i did meet um a, there was a few trad guys over there and i went out of my way to locate these trad hunters. That's just kind of my personality. I really like to be in the same company, you know, traditional bow hunting. I mean, it's why we're doing the podcast. I'm really passionate about traditional bow hunting and I'm passionate about guys and gals that, um, have that same lifestyle because I know that they're that same quality and they have that same work ethic, uh, that we all share and love. So, I went around, I went over to that Guano Creek camp and I, uh, had heard there were some trad guys over there and I met, uh, one old timer, I think his name was Perry and he was a really nice guy. And I spent a few hours, um, socializing with him and I had learned there was a guy, uh, a younger guy uh, closer to my age that was out, uh, hunting spot and stock. And I finally ran into him. Uh, his name was John Sedler, Sattler of Redmond, Oregon. And John was a super cool guy. I planned to share. Uh, uh, he came and had a dinner with me in camp. We shared a campfire. I hope to share another campfire in the future with John. Um, and he had a really cool story where... He had been on a three and a half hour spot and stock, uh, and these antelope had moved off on him, similar to my situation. Well, they'd bedded next to a road, and he was hidden in the sage uh, about 60 yards away when a pickup truck pulls up, and a guy gets out of the pickup truck with a compound bow and a rangefinder, and the buck, pretty good buck, standing there and the guy ranges him for 116 yards 
draws back and makes an absolute perfect shot. I guess he hit him in the top of the heart, lungs. The antelope went on like a 20-yard run and did a front flip and piled up right there. And John went and talked to the guy. And the guy was like, yeah, 116 yards. Uh, I practice out to 150 yards. It was a chip shot for me. Um, so, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, some of these compound guys that put the time in, they're not, it's not even the same hunt. It's not even <laughs> close. Yeah, it's tough, man. Those bows can shoot, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I met another uh, really nice uh, young man who had shot one off of a four-wheeler, and he said, man, I got a close shot, 65 yards. And I'm like, 65 yards, the hunt you know, it just began for me. Yeah. And they, they, they can close, they can shut them down, you know, they can fill their tags at past 100 yards. I, I believe another um, one was taken at 95 yards. Wow. So... Um, it's, you know, and a lot of guys had told me, man, you should just get a compound and, you know, you'd get one. And, um, that's, I guess some guy's mentality, but, um, I'm, I'm dedicated to traditional archery and I, you know, I, I respect however people want to hunt, you know, if it's a rifle or a muzzleloader or a compound. And if these guys are making long shots, as long as it's in their wheelhouse. Like they obviously are practicing for it. Yeah. I mean, you can't uh, like, at least for me, I mean, I can't blame the guys. I mean, they can shoot a pop can at 120 yards. Like I would shoot, shoot it, shoot it too. You know, I don't, I don't blame those guys. You know, you you just, it's just like you said, it's came to a point and that's part of the reason we're kind of, you know, we do this podcast is because it's kind of getting to be different. You know, it's a different sport almost now where, it is. If you can and, hit a pop can at 120 yards. Eh, there's yeah. guys hunt with trad equipment that I've seen or shooting trad equipment that, you know, can't hit a barn door at 25 yards. They don't have any business in the woods hunting. And there's guys with compounds that have 80-yard pens, 100-yard pens, and, uh, and and can't execute. And they don't have any business or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I don't, but, but the guys that are putting the time in and have the equipment and can make those long shots time in and time, I mean, hats off to them. Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, I'm not saying it's unethical. All I'm really saying is it's not the same. Yeah. It's not, it's not, uh, um, close range, intimate bow hunting. Um, it, it's more of a long range game at that point. Cause a lot of animals will stand out there during both season and feel safe at those yardages. At least that was my experience in, in anywhere I hunt. And if you can capitalize, um, you know, then it, it's definitely a different game, you know, the, for sure. So. You know, when I, when I was a kid growing up, my family is a bunch of hillbillies, you know, and that's all they used to do is road hunt back in the day. And that when I was a little kid in the eighties, but you know, and back then if they shot and, and they weren't the most ethical, I'm going to throw it out there, but I mean, you shoot something at 40 or 50 yards, that was a long shot, you know, and they all shot compounds and stuff, but you didn't have range finders. You didn't have releases and all that stuff. And, and nowadays, uh, 
compound guys 40 or 50 yards, if they miss, they're like, what happened? You know, it's the end of the world. Um, it's just changing at times, you know, and, um, it is a changing in times. What I've also noticed, uh, amongst these, these hunters, which, you know, all the people on this hunt, uh, no matter what the equipment they're shooting were great dudes. Like I met a lot of qual, like really cool, nice people. Um, but I noticed that I think it's because of magazines and hunting. I, I guess magazines are kind of dead, but uh, YouTube, and the internet, <laughs> podcasts, uh, that that whole trophy uh, horn porn is really taking over. I mean, it seemed like most of these guys had someone filming their hunt and they were holding out for a big one. Um, to the point where I kind of was thinking some of them were going to go home with nothing, which like me, I came home with nothing. Yeah. Um, but I was going to be happy to shoot any antelope that I could get a, uh, ethical shot on where some of these guys, it, it was more about a film, uh, some footage or a Facebook picture of a mature large buck than it was about having a successful hunt. Um, and, well, and I could get if you've killed a bunch of antelope or, you know, whatever, you're trying to get to that next level. But almost all these guys were like me. It was their first antelope hunt. Uh, and to be passing on, um, antelope left and right, it seemed kind of ridiculous to me, but I mean, every guy has to choose what, you know, uh, what they want to put their tag on. And I guess that's the beauty of it. Yeah, everybody kind of does it for different reasons, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, met... I'm I'm not the greatest on that either. I like big animals. You know, I'm I'm addicted to that. I I do my share of, you know, trying to always get the big one for whatever reason. I don't really know why, I guess. But I'm never, sure. you know, I think it just over time that's that's the way it goes. Yeah, I uh I I also met a guy on the hunt who offered me his antelope if he got one nice yeah and i was like sure and he said yeah i i could i could do the paperwork and i could just give it to you he says i i've given away plenty of deer and elk over the years and i said so you just hunt for the horns no you could have those too he said weird yeah it's what I, I was really strange he uh loved hunting he said but he didn't eat wild game and he didn't have any use for the horns <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I got a buddy of mine who fishes like crazy. He's a great fisherman, but he doesn't eat fish. So they're good friends to have. Yeah. I, guess. I just was blown away. I asked the guy to, to repeat what he was saying and he was dead serious. And he's got the Winnaha big bull tag this year. Oh, wow. And yeah, he put like 20 points or something on it. He's an older guy. And I asked him, I said, well, what are you going to do if you get one? He says, well, I'm going to uh, give the antlers to Cabela's, and I'm going to give the elk away to somebody in camp. Oh, nice. Yeah, so he hunted for a whole different reason. I don't know what it was, like the adventure or to kill, or I'm not sure what. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it it uh, it takes uh, all kinds to make the world go round. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a really uh, a learning uh, mental awareness on Heart Mountain experience is how I'm going to put it. Uh, I got to meet a ton of different people. 
Um, I got a flat tire and I had a guy there and he asked if he could have his 12 year old change my tire. <laughs> and I, and I said, well, you know, I, I got it. I can do it. And he says, no, I want my 12 year old to get as much as experience in life as possible. And he's already changed a few tires since he's been out here. And I, I'm trying to teach him to be, you know, as a, as good of a man as I can. And I thought, that's awesome, you know. And so this kid, Davey, uh, he changed my tire for me. And I nice. sat back and wa- watched Davey. He was a very nice young man. And, um, yeah, it was it, that was, an, an, you know, another just part of the experience, I guess. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, it was it was a huge learning curve. Uh learning to sit for, I don't know, what did I sat for 70 or 80 hours in a ground blind, you know, it's different than tree stand hunting. I mean, sitting in a tree, I felt was a a little easier than being in that blind. I I often wanted to sleep. Uh, I, I read, uh, I read the first Jim Akinson's part, uh, Jim Akinson's book, I think it's called like 7,003 days in the wilderness or something like that. It's broken up into part one and part two. So I've read part one of his book. So I've got half of his book read. Um, And I read several magazines and I I read uh, another half of um, uh, A Man Made of Elk uh, by David Peterson. Peterson. Yeah, so I, I read, I did some reading, but it seemed to, it made me want to go to sleep a little bit in that blind. It was hard to read and to stay focused. And, um, and I wanted to eat more than I thought. I was just <laughs> gobbling down blueberries. I was nice. taking big bags of blueberries and larbars and, and I, I drank like two gallons of water a day and I would pee into this gallon jug and I was peeing like one, one and a half gallons of piss a day and packing that out. It was, yeah, it was a trip. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah. Um what what I, I I'll I'm thirty eight. I'll probably get the tag again when I'm fifty eight. Well, if you're lucky. So, if I'm lucky and so uh yeah, I I wanna I wanna redo. I hope to get it in a dry year and maybe when I'm fifty eight, sixty years old I'll be Mm, more patient, more seasoned. <laughs> yeah, you should be, that's for sure. But like I said, man, you can't, that just happens. That's weather. Get a good tag, yeah. it doesn't mean you're going to get something. It's still hunting. Every time you it's, think, every time you think you got it figured out, it doesn't work. I mean, I, shoot, I think the year before last, I hunted for like 45 days and I didn't kill anything. And so you throw a couple of those seasons, and I'm not the kind of guy that's, you know, I'm not out there smelling the roses and, and I'm not taking pictures of sunsets and just happy to be there. I mean, I am happy to be there, but I'm I'm also there as a goal, you know, and the end goal is to get what I'm after. And so I, you know, it, it's tough, but it happens a few times and you start to realize it's just going to happen, especially shooting a stick bow. You're not going to be successful every time you just, it's just the way it goes. And once you start to kind of realize that, then it, I feel like any more the pressure's off, you know, like I've, I've done it enough, you know, like 
it's gonna happen. I put my time in. If it yeah, doesn't, it's that's bow where hunting. It goes. Yep. I mean, it's bow hunting, and yep. I, I'm. I don't think any guy, if he is going into this stick bow thing, like if you're new to this, and getting something every time, if you're not willing to go on a hunt and spend a bunch of money and a bunch of time and you and the outcome isn't, uh, uh, a dead animal and you're not fine with that, then you're not going to stick around and stick bow hunting very long. Um, I felt my hunt was a successful hunt. Yeah. Um, it, it, it wasn't success in the terms of where some people would measure it with meat in the freezer and horns on the wall. Um, but I had, uh, a life experience. I did take a few pictures of some beautiful sunsets. And I bet you did. Roses. I bet you did. <laughs> uh, I, I met some really good dudes. Uh, I learned a lot about myself. Uh, that's part of the experience. Uh, I'm a big into the experience and the experience. Um, you know, I started off a 10, I dipped down to a one and I drove away a 10. So it, nice. it, it was definitely, um, it was an awesome hunt. Um, I was, re- felt really fortunate. I, I, you know, I, I thank my mother-in-law and, uh, my wife, uh, and my children for allowing me to be away from home for two weeks and to be in the mountains and to be, give it, get a chance to be me and to, to do me. And I mean, I, I don't know what, what more I could ask for. Yeah, that's a good start for sure. Good start to the season. Yeah, and you know, usually this time of year, all I could think about is Wapiti. I mean, it's August. I'm usually blowing on the bugle. Uh, I'm watching (laughs) YouTube. Uh, I'm scouting. I'm just like elk crazy. But because of this antelope hunt, I've been kind of suppressed. Um, I usually go on a scouting trip this time of year. Like I had planned to go scouting in a new area, uh, Eastern Oregon during this time where I was antelope hunting and the antelope hunt actually took away from that scouting trip, but it's not taking away from elk hunting. I mean, I still have big plans for elk season and, uh, I'm super, super excited about, uh, what is it? Are we two and a half weeks out? Yeah, I mean, the week after next, you know, well, I'll be heading over. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. coming right up, man. It's it's go time. I looked at the calendar a couple of days ago, and I'm like, crap, I only have four days off between now and the time I leave. You know, I got to get some stuff done. So it's Today's time to start like, packing and getting stuff ready. What's today, the 9th or 10th? And elk yeah, today's season the 9th. starts 26th. 26th so yeah we're mm-hmm. just we're, we're just a short couple weeks out um what's what's your plans you're going to your eastern oregon camp with your family opening weekend or yeah um probably just my brother will be there that first week and my <clears throat> my 15 year old nephew he's gonna he's been rifle hunting the last few years and he's he's switching over to the bow so super excited he's shooting a compound but Super pumped to take him out. Uh, had him shooting a little bit around the house. Took him to the archery shop. Got him all. Had to have somebody else set him all up because I don't know all that stuff anymore. So he's getting dialed in. So 
yeah, I got most of the month off and can't wait, man. It's, it's coming fast. So, so do you, do you spend most of your season, uh, there in camp there? Do you guys move around a little bit or? Well, the last two years we've been hunting, uh, a ranch over there a buddy of mine kind of got us on so we've been hunting that most of the time this year um if i do end up getting my elk i might head head down and hunt deer my dad my dad's going to be down in the desert so i might meet him down there once if if it happens you know which it never does so so yeah i'll be kind of staying there i i pull my trailer over there a little spot on the creek, and I just park it for the month. It's it's nice, I tell you. Well, if you get uh, you know a little bored of that, and you want to come check out the coastal brush. Uh, <laughs> you're more than welcome to uh, come join me uh, for some Roosevelt hunting here on the Oregon coast. Uh, I plan to have several uh, friends come in and out of here. Chad Brown, Carson Brown are supposed to make an appearance uh, for a couple of days here and there to come hunt some Roosevelt's with me. I plan to get out with uh, Dan Godfrey, our mutual friend, the Roosevelt Elk Slayer. Uh, try to learn uh, from a guy like that. I mean, a couple of days in the field with Dan would be, you know, invaluable for sure. Yeah. Or invaluable, valuable. <laughs> had that wrong um you know get getting out with a guy like that um so i'm really looking forward to getting a chance to hunt with dan and i usually take 10 days off like around the third week a season um i used to go at the end but it seems like so many people want to hunt the last week that i feel like i got a little less pressure in the woods around that second and a half to third week Mm-hmm. And so um, I've been talking to uh, our other mutual friend, Andy Ponce from Addictive Archery, and my hunting partner, Nick. And we're not sure, you know, we haven't ironed out the plans yet, but uh, a backpack hunt is what I want to do. I want to go into one of Oregon's wilderness areas and go uh, test our skills uh, in the wilderness, um, uh, you know, against the Wapiti of Eastern Oregon, um, unless in case I were to get an elk on the coast, I will have a, uh, mule deer tag in my pocket. And in that case, uh, we'll be hitting the high desert for muleys. So in a perfect case scenario, Roosevelt in the freezer and mule deer hunting at the end of season. <laughs> well, I hope that works out for you. You're able to hunt Roosevelt's every evening a season like how does that work for you or do you just go the last yeah days? no so how that how that looks for me is i work uh four tens monday through thursday so that gives me friday saturday sunday and then i work doing uh salmon habitat work and it it just so happens that this year i'm going to be working in the state forest where i hunt during season and it hasn't been that way every year matter of fact it's been a while since i've actually been in the state forest during season while i'm while i'm working but the last time that happened uh 
uh, well, bull ended up in my freezer. So that was <laughs> sweet. Uh, that was good. So, um, yeah, w- w- me and my, uh, my boss is an elk hunter too, and we will be working, uh, in the woods during elk season. So we will put in our shift and, you know, might be hearing some elk, uh, while we're working, we'll get off work five thirty, and it gives us, you know, four hours. We're already there, uh, to, uh, go out and do some hunting. So I get a hunt. I, I pretty much hunt all 30 days. I hunt every single day of the season. It's, um, after work Monday through Thursday, uh, all day hunts on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then, um, 10 of those 30 days are reserved for a out of town hunting adventure of my choice. Sweet. Sounds like a good time. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I just can't wait for it to get here. And, and even if I've got my tags filled, which rarely happens, I will still be accompanying friends. Um, because I, I can't get enough. I'm, I will still be in the woods calling, uh, hopefully packing, uh, whatever it takes to be part of the September experience. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard for me to ever, you know, kill one and move on. Cause I, I hunt with my brother every year and then my buddy Steven and my dad usually. So it's, uh, for all of us to get our elk early, it's kind of tough, and and it's hard to leave those guys selfishly to go get something else. So I'll probably be it, hanging it, around there for most of the season. So it's also difficult. Like, I mean, I'm really happy to come home and see my daughters and my wife, but when you get used to that grind in the mountains, you know, like I just got home there's like kind of a, a little bit of depression where you're back inside of a house and you're <laughs> yeah, back to, sure. to like reality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, 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 fortunately for me, um, I know that it's going to be short lived because it's getting ready to happen all over again. Uh, it's just a few weeks out. So it's kind of weird having this early season, um, bonus antelope experience. Um, and I want to thank, uh, Dave Brinker, uh, Mr. Heart Mountain is what I'd like to call him. He, uh, set me up with a map and, you know, all the places to go and camp and water holes. And he was constantly, uh, in contact with me via text message and he kept my spirits high and he kept me, uh, with, you know, good information about the hunt. And so I wanted to publicly thank uh, David Brinker for, you know, the efforts he went th- uh, forth for uh, the antelope hunt. Right on. Yeah. I'd like to get uh, uh, him and uh, Junior on the podcast in the future. I think that would be uh, a good episode. So, yeah, I think that, you know, that's uh, kind of a, a wrap up of the Heart Mountain antelope hunt for me. And I want you guys to look forward to some uh, Wapiti. We've got some special guests lined up, and we're going to be bringing you guys uh, some elk action over the next 
six, seven weeks. Uh, I hope to have something elk related uh, from here on out till elk season's over. Heck yeah, it's time. We got to get some some recorded so we can hopefully release them while we're gone too. So that'll be that'll be a tough one. (laughs) Yeah. So we've got some we've got some grinding to do uh, to, to get after that, but, I, uh, we won't let you guys down. We're going to get it done. Um, so we're going to get after it and, uh, you know, thanks, thanks for everybody out there that's been listening and sending us positive, uh, feedback, uh, on Facebook and Instagram. And if we could get you guys out there to, uh, send us some, uh, reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, TuneIn. Um, that would really help us a lot. Uh, check us out on tradquest.com and look forward to some whoppity big bugle in action uh, as the season progresses. Thanks a lot. We're out. Later. <laughs>